that building full of fright, I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. Yay. Hi. I'm Jacob. <laughs> Hi, Jacob. You're Jamin. Hi, me. Hi. Hi. You know, we've only done this 33 times. <laughs> One time we're going to get it right. I'm okay. Jacob. I am Victoria. I'm Jamin. Thank you. I'm glad we established this. Yay. I feel yeah. like now that you have a haircut, you're... Your personality is different. Mm, mm. I'm always kind of been a fussy jerk, so <laughs> you're not a you're not right, a jerk. But now that you've got a haircut, you're not a fussy jerk anymore. New oh. Year, New Jacob. Oh, <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year. So he's he's no longer a fuzzy jerk. No, 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 no. Too late. Brand new man. Happy, cheerful all the time. Well, I, 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 I look Look at his face. He's smiling that. right now. <laughs> Is that a smile? Really? No. <laughs> just, just like a hairless cat. <laughs> well, I'm excited about 2022. Is that how you say that? 2022. I think you should dub that in later. 2022. <laughs> are we, are we excited? Have a, we've had our hopes dashed so many times. Well, our office is in hell. So that's yeah. the name of the game. Good point. I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it'll keep us keep us in work. And relevant. <laughs> well, this is episode 34 of The Dispatchist. I think that makes it <laughs> quite numerologically significant in Dante land because 34. Three and four adds to seven. Yes. <gasps> oh, it does. Ooh. That's good. Ooh. You're right. Pat, but pat, also pat, pat. 34 episodes, 34 contos. Oh, yours is way better than mine. No, yours yes. is good. I hadn't noticed that. That's 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 spot on. Okay, so continuing, continuing with the thirty-four, you were going to say something important. I no, think. that's all I got. Oh, thirty-four. Okay, so what? Is- I mean, you're thirty-four too, so it's like your age. Oh, duh! Right, right, right. That right. was that was remarkably smooth. I should write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the midpoint of all of our lives. Yes, yes. I hope that and is And we're at the midpoint of the midpoint of all of our lives here in this mixtape. Or the beginning of side B. Side B of our lives. I hope that we get to episode 69. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. For all, the, for all the eight-year-old boys out there. Did you Janu- lead me into that? <laughs> January 5th, 2022. Victoria and Jamin, not the eight-year-old boys. <laughs> that was an incredible setup. <laughs> This is set wow. up. Wow. He's set really up 30, new Jacob. 34 episodes in the making. <laughs> so, Jacob, this is the year Jacob works blue. He gets a haircut and starts working blue. <laughs> Did anybody bring anything to the party? Oh, yes. I brought a drink called the Bromance. Oh, <gasps> I was wondering. That sounds way better than the Toe <laughs> Still scarred. <laughs> Listeners, if you've not listened yet, go back and listen to Insert Episode Here, where she terrified us all. 
A romantic story about two people with an obsession for chili peppers called Scomance. Ooh. Okay, so I feel like there's a whole realm of omance yes. cocktails that we could work with in. But for now, I will tell you a little about the bromance recipe. Yes. It actually is a pair of drinks. and <laughs> One for him and one for him. <laughs> and here's a vodka I will never buy. Uh, it's made from three olives dude citrus vodka and lager beer. And it is uh, served in a set of shot glass and beer glass, just like the best bromances. You have one big burly guy and then a little feisty shot one. glass. Of a the feisty one, the little one. <laughs> the sidecar of, of, uh, of the dude. Harsh. Do you do you drop one and the other just like a bromance or? Yes, you do. As a matter of fact, um, so it's a bro so bomb. <laughs> it's a bro bomb. It's kind of like cherry bomb, but without the teenage girl angst. Um, so it takes a shot of citrus vodka, the three olives, dude, a one pint beer, and you fill a beer glass, duh, to the top of the lager. Add citrus vodka to a shot glass. Drop the shot glass in the beer and down the entire glass, which to me grammatically says you actually drink the shot glass as well. Yeah, yeah, it's expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to drink at least one or it doesn't count. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. It's not a good bromance unless somebody's choking. <laughs> um, go on. Oh, I so got that's, it. So that's it. That's all. I, that's wow. all I got. That's all Slow I got. Jamie. Oh, I didn't even. Oh, wow. Okay, I did not. Once again, Jacob, eight-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah, he really like. There's a. I feel. I sense a shift in the in the <laughs> universe here. <laughs> so, I brought brownies. It's a, it's a bit of a convoluted story. Stick with me. Okay. You know how I you know how I convolute. I found a recipe, and I'm not going to link a website. You know, I'm not sure the audience knows how you convolute because they keep cutting things. <laughs> like, what is this convolute? I, it's such a straightforward, direct podcast. For those of you listening at home, you just missed the last five minutes of conversation from Jamin. <laughs> <laughs> I found a website. I'm not going to list it because... Okay, so it was flourless, gluten-free avocado brownies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that actually sounds kind of good. Avocados and chocolate sounds good. And good I'm going through and she's she's listening to this. And she keeps talking about the health and how macronutrients and gluten is terrible. And this is bad. And partially hydrogenated this. And it got so preachy. I closed the tab and I made regular brownies. Right? It's mm-hmm. not worth mm-hmm. the effort to get emotionally invested in this recipe when I can just scratch the box off, pour it in the bowl, and make brownies. So, hey, regular brownies from the store, guys. Help yourself. Oh. Can I tell you a, a, a science fair story? It's oh. not really a story. It's a science fair observation. So science when I was fair a kid, truth. A fact. <laughs> I was in a couple of science fairs. I was very sciencey as a child. One year, the person who won made brownies with algae. Ooh. Oh. And they were Close. delicious, but it just added this... It's like carrageenan, I guess, is the yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. That it's an algae-like thing. So essentially it was that, but it was like the 11-year-old's version of that. Uh, honestly, you put cocoa powder in anything, it's edible. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I brought entertainment. Yay. Excellent. A great and black-hearted, one-snouted hornet, and a black and foul, red-headed devil lick sorcerers and drive them out of a gargantuan circular building as a guardian angel watches. 
And this wow. is going to happen on a stage in front of us, I suspect. <laughs> your, so, your entertainment is getting more, more and more entertainier. It is. Like, this is straight up, like, Grand Guggenhall, or is that, g- how do you say? Guggenhall? Guggenhall? I'm never able to pronounce it. Guggenhall? But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that that theater in That theater, the... It's not theater of cruelty, is it? That's a different thing. Oh, it's theater yeah. of gignals. Gignals. Yes. <laughs> but I like, so that's an ASMR thing. Like if you can hear the licking. The single snouted licking. licking. Yeah. The single well, snouted licking. It, it, makes, it makes the sorcerers nervous somehow and they leave the building. <laughs> I imagine it's like the original Barnum, his, uh, Cure, essentially curio cabinet before there was a before oh. he had the before the circus yes. that burnt down with the great egress exactly the egress like, was, was great did you see it i saw it. oh man it was worth the wait nice I, I skipped actually i skipped past a bunch of the other exhibits just to get to the egress i was so excited <laughs> wow you're a man you're a man with a plan so i wish we had a literary theorist to have this conversation with because i've been wondering if the romantic literature movement was a thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say it was definitely a thing. Says the literary scholar. Yeah. Are we yeah. looking I at think- like the 1470s or 1320s or? Oh, you're, you're, you're looking at the 19th century. Oh, like, it's a later Dude, thing. that's oh. where the, uh-huh. oh. yeah, yeah. There's uh, lots of odes and whatnot. But the way you're saying it, that implies that it's a California school of literature. I don't. I think. I think the dude, the dude, sort of hit its stride in California. But the dude has been long and long in making. Hmm. From we've got Lord Byron, kind of the er dude, I would say. Yes, that that is definitely how he's described by every poet that had to deal mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. He's very much an er dude who inspired many a bromance. Pancho Villa in the picaresque literature phase. There's elements oh, yeah. of that. That's probably pre dude. And this this also goes back to the my. Theory about the pint glass and shot glass as a the proper dude mix, right? You've mm-hmm. got because you've got um, Pancho Villa and Sancho, Pan- Sancho Panza, guy on big horse, guy on donkey. Like you've got, you know, mm. there's mm. got to be there's got to be some uh, difference in Actually, stature. I mean, in a sense, that the antecedents of this go back to Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that as a literature style, it probably faded out after Gilgamesh and Enkidu for a few hundred years or so. And uh, Gargantua and Pantagruel would be the next kind of major example of the genre. Mm-hmm. I, but again, these are all, all, all antecedents, not I, I kind of want to say, it. you know, the, the again, you know, it's like our current culture is our lens is how we view the past, right? So would contemporary Gilgamesh have called this a bromance or would they have just called it an epic novel? Hmm. If we didn't live in a world where buddy cop movies were an, were blockbuster hits, would bromance be a thing? Well, I have to go back and make a correction because did I say Pancho Villa? Yeah, I think you meant Don Quixote. <laughs> I meant Don Quixote. I don't know where. What did you say? You said something that sounded like Pancho Villa. I did. I think I said <laughs> Pancho Villa. Oh no! But I might have gotten his sidekick name wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's it's Don Quixote and Sancho. Anza. Two different bros. <laughs> Pancho Villa is also a total bro. We've conflated mm-hmm. our bros. 
<laughs> blow brokenflation is uh that is a, a consequence of talking uh, too much in depth about romance. All of your bros running together. It's true. Your bros just become a big old bro blur. That's why Tango and Cash was the best buddy cop film. <laughs> oh, I don't know. So I don't think we have any hell news this week. Yeah, we do. Oh, I think oh. we have hell news this week. So this goes back a little ways to um, our discussion of Pazuzu. Yay! So Pazuzu's in the news. Zoo. The, the Nizuzu. <laughs> the Nizuzu. If you recall, the inspiration for the movie The Exorcist was the exorcism of um, Roland. He was called Roland Doe. The kid, he was a boy. Wait, Roland who, Doe? Uh, like Roland Doe, but oh, Roland What a Doe, great name. Which, it's definitely a um, fantastic name. I think Roland, they got Roland from his actual name. But he has been outed, essentially, because he passed away about a year ago. And oh, so, so it's okay it's, he doesn't mind being outed. He <laughs> Right. But uh turns out that... His actual name is... Oh, it better be Roland Doe. It is not. It, sadly, it is not. Roland Hunkler. Oh, Hunkler. Yeah. And he worked for NASA. From the New England Hunklers. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, they're a very upstanding family in Maine, I believe, right? Mm. But yeah, so he is the real kid who was the inspiration for The Exorcist and... Supposedly, he, he had a really hard time being the kid who was <laughs> who had this exorcism in his past and tried to, you know, kind of keep it on the down low when he was a NASA scientist. Yeah. I mean, oh, wouldn't conflict. you? Go figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was some sleuthing that went on to figure out exactly who it was. Because this all happened in Maryland, the original yeah. exorcism of Roland, formerly Roland Doe now hunkler hmm. yeah it was around washington dc and then he was moved to st louis for further exorcism allegedly mm-hmm. so yeah it sort of took care took place in the whole dc maryland area until he was moved to st louis well roland it sounds like you're in a better place now i'll pour a, a bromance on the ground in your memory <laughs> <laughs> Is exorcism kind of a form of bromance? No. No. It's a messy breakup at best. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to I was trying to make a silk out of a sow's ear, I suppose. Anywho. I found something that I kind of wanted to be hell news, but I don't think it is, but I feel obligated to talk about it anyway because it is kind of vaguely interesting. Mm-hmm. I was puttering around Kickstarter and I saw a Kickstarter project from I guess two years ago called Bat Out of Hell. It's an animated short where the characters are kind of paper-cut animations from Hieronymus Bach paintings. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, so you kind of see like one of the characters kind of shuffling around, and it's, it's kind of Gilliam-y cut-apart art and things like that. And this is two years ago, and the pilot is on YouTube now. You look up Bat Out of Hell and the name Matthew Licona, L-I-C-K-O-N-A, and you'll see it. The reason it's not really hell news for me is it honestly it wasn't that funny. It was like trying to be funny, but there was the spark was not really there. But it's kind of interesting to see the character shuffling around. Hmm. That sounds kinda of interesting. But I see what you're saying about the trying yeah. to be funny. Yeah, it's hard. 
Mm-hmm. It's very hard. So side B. Side B, yes. Side B of the greatest mixtape in the world. If yes. you haven't taken the cassette out of your Walkman and physically flipped it around, listeners, now is the time to do so. Well, now mm-hmm. you remove it entirely because this is a two-tape mixtape. Oh, no. Technically a four-tape mixtape because it's going to be given to Virgil at the end of Purgatorio. Oh. Okay. Yep. So you just gave me a spoiler. So Virgil's in Purgatorio. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he okay. makes it to the end it of Purgatory. Makes total sense. And okay. then... And then it's rudely forced out of the, of the story. He was killed off. Yeah, because he was a, he was he was he was uh, a jerk to work with. Like, no, this is no no. Dante <laughs> dumps him and goes off with Beatrice. <gasps> oh, wait, is Beatrice oh, in um, Paradiso? Paradiso. What? Yes, yes. See, this is okay. So now we have to read it because it is I mean, seven hundred years old. I don't feel like I spoiled much. Okay. Oh, I'm sure I'll forget before we get there. Fair. If your feelings are hurt, please angrily tweet us at the dispatchist. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Sandow Burke did offer up a suggestion for the music you might hear in hell, which is an infinite loop of my Sharona. <gasps> That's a good one. Mm-hmm. I feel like one instance of my Sharona is kind of hellish. So this is not going to be in the mixtape. I just, I can't, I can't, I just can't. On that very same uh, note, Elvis Costello song, This Is Hell, is listing all the things that happen in hell. One of them is your favorite songs playing again and again, but it's by Julie Andrews and not John Coltrane. (laughs) (laughs) So that fits in with Sandow's idea. But Maishron also gets at the, you know, kind of just like wrong. It's just wrong. There's so many things wrong with Did that song. Did John Coltrane originally perform my favorite things? I See, I don't know much about John Coltrane because I'm not a jazz person. But it's your, yeah. Whatever, whatever your favorite John Coltrane song would be. Played by Julie Andrews. Oh, wait. John Coltrane did perform my favorite things in 1961. I thought I was joking. No, this you're is a not complex joking. and multi-layered joke. Wow, who knew? I didn't. Okay, now huh. none of us. See? None of us mm-hmm. knew. What is John Coltrane? Yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, his most famous songs, my favorite things, and in a sentimental mood. This is deep. Yeah, we could. We could. We have we to could step get 45 minutes. Out. <laughs> Let's step away from the abyss. <laughs> but again, another song to add. Then is Elvis Costello's "This Is Hell." Favorite things are playing again and again, but it's by Julie Andrews and not by John Coltrane. So, so the three of us have vastly different musical tastes, and Dante has a vastly or different taste. Like the way he's trying to project his feelings into this through the lens of all three of us but mostly you, it's it's hard to wrap my head around. Like, I need to listen to this mixtape just to be able to understand this mixtape to contribute to this mixtape. Well, I think it's you weird. need to embrace your inner Dante, too. Did you wear the red hat I sent you? <laughs> the snood? My, my inner Dante clawed his way out last week and fled. Oh. Oh, dear. Bummer. Yeah. That's what that horrible mess was in the kitchen. <laughs> No, that was the dogs, I promise. It wasn't me. That was the dogs. 
Okay. This, you weren't just shedding your exoskeleton again. I mean, it's about time, right? <laughs> new year. <laughs> new year, new Jamin. Exoskeleton. Well, we're going to open the second volume of The Greatest Mixtape of All Time with a suggestion by Mark Scarborough. The Cowboy, Hi, Junkies, the Cowboy Junkies' Common Disaster. Run away with me from the last cramped in the it's pretty solid for like dark romance buddy pieces because it's about how all relationships kind of potentially fall apart <laughs> or or explode right. that that sums up like you you see something said the cowboy junkies common disaster and you expect wild crazy banging splody disaster right this is very mellow like this is low-key it is poignant and the song lyrics are pretty intense Uh, yeah yeah but the music does not quite it it, it is jarring someone online suggested this should be the soundtrack for thelma and louise oh at least the final moment where they drive over the yeah yeah spoilers um that's two spoilers (laughs) guys They, they they drive through they go to mcdonald's yeah, so you're no, you're too late. You're going. You're fleeing from a life that's dull and cramped and worthless, and driving into not the future that's happy, but a future that's probably incendiary, because all relationships are made up of two broken people or three. We don't know, um, and all relationships potentially are going to fail spectacularly. But you got to drive towards the ending, regardless of what it is. Uh, run away with me from a life so dull and cramped. Not worry too much about the happily ever after. Just keep the caddy moving until we're well beyond that hill. Also, go ahead and take your seatbelt off. Man, the 90s. So as kind of a chill preamble to the album itself, this is going to kind of occupy slot number one. Nothing too jarring, but the lyrics, I think, kind of set the mood for a, a lot of conflict, a lot of lost searching, a candle burning for everything I've ever wanted, a tattoo burn for everything I've ever wanted and lost. Two people definitely moving somewhere together, probably into the darkness. Yeah, it's like the lover's card in the tarot. Yeah. Which is not exactly great <laughs> in readings. <laughs> it's never going to be peaceful. No. Uh, do you want to pick up song number two? Oh, yes. And interestingly, as I'm looking for the at the lyrics for Common Disaster, there are some similarities here, which I will explain. But my choice for... The song about that connects us to the seducers and panderers is Antichrist Television Blues by Arcade Fire. This is my favorite song by Arcade Fire. I'm not sure what that says about me. Let's not go too deeply into that. <laughs> this, this, this song made me want to dance and throw up at the same time. Exactly. It is that good. It is that good. The interesting thing about this song is that it is. it was originally called Joe Simpson. Mm. Do you know who Joe Simpson is? Unfortunately, I do now. I do now. <laughs> so for those of you listening at home, Joe Simpson is the father and manager of Jessica and Ashley Simpson. So he was a psychologist and Baptist youth minister Ooh. who, as a matter of fact, gave his daughter Jessica a purity ring when she was 12 years old. Uh, 
So the lyrics uh, go a little something like this. Dear God, I'm a good Christian man. In your glory, I know you understand that you got to work hard and you got to get paid. My girl's 13, but she don't act her age. She can sing like a bird in a cage. Oh, Lord, if you could see her when she's up on that stage. So we have the very, we have some more daddy issues here. Yeah. And the exact definition of a panderer with the whole grossness of religion as the fuel for this terrible exploitation. But I will say the connection to common disaster that I never noticed before was uh, the lyric, I found myself a friend, but he's crooked as a stick in water. So now I'm writing fairy tales to catch the spirit of revenge. He's got a plan to steal my little sister, but I'm mm. not too concerned because I will get him in the end. A stick in water. Disaster. Oh, a stick isn't water isn't actually crooked. It's the viewer's perspective that is warped. Very interesting. And if that's not the deepest thing I've ever said, mm-hmm. I just made that up. Also, is she the crooked one? No, because it's the perspective. The stick isn't crooked. It's it's the refraction through the water. Hmm, so a commentary on the audience. It's the viewer's mm. perspective. We okay. also get some of these same notes in Sinner's Prayer by Lady Gaga, four or five songs mm-hmm. late from now. Also, same as the first song, the name of the song and the band were way more exciting than the actual song like this this is a great song but it just kind of felt a little bit mellow yeah antichrist kind of is a little bit apocalyptic and i don't think this song was really there except for like the notes of hypocrisy Hmm. that are Mm -hmm. kind of threaded throughout well antichrist television kind of related to something right Mm -hmm. oh i I love that program in the 80s (laughs) it went in a whole uh went in a whole network for a while Mm. the antichrist television network ATN? I want to be A-N-T. It's not. <laughs> the Antichrist Network. There's an element in this, in kind of picking these songs, and also in navigating the Inferno, which has been kind of a little bit challenging for me, which is that I think once we get to the second half and like the, the Gurion break, the boundaries between classes of sinners are very hazy, like hypocrisy, treachery, wrath and lust, and all of these things kind of blur together as the crimes mm-hmm. just get kind of worse and worse. Like, they're no longer single crimes, they're constellations of crimes. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very rhizomatic. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to say, like, to your, to your point about the song not quite meeting what your expectations... I mean, I used to be obsessed with Arcade Fire, but they're kind of the Wes Anderson version of an indie band in some ways. <laughs> so I could, I, I have kind of a <laughs> made of yarn. <laughs> I mean, they're amazingly talented, but they're pretty precious in a lot of ways. There's a lot of discussion on Reddit about what is the most disturbing arcade fire song. And this one is up there. Hmm. Uh, track number three, I guess is much simpler, mm-hmm. <laughs> much simpler. There's only about simpler, simpler, much simpler. There's only about Mm -hmm. 10 words in it. This is Sacrilege by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Yeah. Okay. See, the entire lyrics of the song... Followed for a guy, fell down from the sky, hail around his head, feathers in a bed, in our bed. It's sacrilege, you say, and I plead and I pray. Yeah. But it's got a really good yeah. beat. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
And I say this, this unironically, but yeah, yeah, yes. They're all right. Yeah, they're good. This is for Canto 19, Simony and False Popes. Uh, this is more of a love song about rose-colored glasses coming off, I think. But it wanted to go here. I think you're right. I think you're right. I would agree with that. And it's just a good, it's a good mix, different style of music. So, musical ethical question. Is sure. dragging in a church choir to make your musical hook at the end stand out a little bit more? Is that Simony? Ooh. Hmm. It's something related to it. You should definitely like paying money for church incense almost. But not, you're not really cashing in favors. No. And I guess does that, does the, so, okay. So using the church choir to provide legitimacy yeah. or gratuitous yeah. use of a church choir. So, so Madonna's very guilty of this then in like a prayer. Uh, or in, in the name Madonna, in fact. Oh, Madonna! Holy cow! Yeah, yes, that's that's her entire institution is based on that- whatever this unnamed <laughs> sin is, and that she made you know teenage girls of my generation wear rosaries as accessories. It's a whole other whole other thing. Could, could we call it God dropping? I like God dropping. Or um, I was trying to think of a sacramental appropriation. Hmm. Sacramimical. No, that doesn't work. Sacra- <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there is screaming the best possible phrase at their cell phone <laughs> right now. Or their, their Zoom or whatever they listen the to. Zoom. <laughs> Canto 20, track four, uh, Fortune Tellers and Diviners. I don't know how familiar y'all are with the band Sparks. It was a tidbit before my time, but I really like this song. It is a fantastic song. So they've been around since 1966. It's two brothers, Ron and Russell Mayle. They have been doing music that other musicians love, and they have they never really achieved serious critical acclaim. But they had people, they had amazing producers like um, Todd Rundgren and oh, the disco guy who did a, a lot of Donna Summer's hits, Sergio Moroni, who did the kind of like er disco sound. The song that of theirs that I suggested for this part of our journey is I Predict. And a lot of their songs are also very tongue-in-cheek. But uh, it is just a bunch of different banal prophecies. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like the, the closing line, this song will fade out, and this song will fade out, this song will fade out. <laughs> I mean... song will fade out, and the song will fade out. There was, there was a feather boa. At least one. There was a feather yeah, boa. I, the video, the video mm-hmm. is, is pretty striking. Super, it is very super striking. enjoyable. It was meant to be kind of Lynchian, as in David Lynchian. So this is like a drag strip show uh-huh. sort of An but the drag is angry one the drag is kind of tongue-in-cheek um <laughs> and uh this is kind of edgy but but really weirdly silly edgy 
edgy for its, its very day. silly edgy that yeah. that that describes their music mm. exactly because one of their best known songs is the number one song in heaven which again if oh you do heaven i love that hell, song it is a fantastic song. such a great song mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you say uh, – well, actually, I was going to say, how can you say they didn't make it big? They were on Saturday Night Live. Well, they did. I mean, they they did and they didn't. Like, they never really, like, took off. I mean, they had, like, one big hit song in the 80s, Cool Places, which was with Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's. And it was Giorgio, Giorgio Moroder. That's the – not Sergio Moroder. I don't know who that is. I just made that up. But Giorgio uh, Moroder was one of their producers as well. Yeah, so they hit it a few times, but not like but, 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 wait, 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 wait. But Klaus so, Nomi was also on Saturday Night Live, so I think it answers itself. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. There's a lot of... Back when SNL used to be edgy, <laughs> people like Sparks and Klaus Nomi were allowed to grace that stage. Album name, Angst in My Pants. <laughs> yes, they had some, several really good <laughs> album names. Um, and they recently uh, did a project... A musical movie with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard uh, called Annette. <laughs> so that's been wildly popular recently. And that was directed by Edgar Wright. So, but the song itself, yeah, is full of these kind of banal prophecies that a fake fortune teller might provide. Like, you're going to eat a bowl of chow mein and be hungry real soon, I predict. And some of them are preposterous. Like, Lassie will prove that Elvis and her. Had a flea getting affair, I predict. <laughs> and then, of course, the video itself is depicts a falsifier in the the angry fairy hair suit stripper. I want to roll it back to where this is in our Guryan uh, crimes against art category, mm-hmm. but the amount of editing involved would be really irritating. <laughs> well, you could just make a little tick, little little click that oh, this okay. is connected. Mm-hmm. Beep. Mm-hmm. Well, song number five, I really love this one. This is Dark Carnival by Frenchie and the Punk. Oh, yeah, this is really fun. And this is a very off, off Broadway band. They're big in the folk punk cabaret steampunk uh, circuit. So I think they're, they played at Dragon Con recently. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, it's a literary convention. I think sci-fi oh. literature convention. When um, you say so literature, that, you mean comics, right? No, I don't. I mean sci-fi literature. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so they're, they're big in the greater weirdo American community. Oh, okay. I have to say, like, I really liked it because it was kind of a mix of Susie and the Banshees and Kate Bush. Yeah, it had great energy, didn't it? The the mm-hmm. energy lived up to the name. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm picking it for the scene where the demons are kind of running after people. Not because this is a particularly hellish song. I think it's much more in the Brothers Grimm dark fairy tale camp, particularly from the lyrics. Mm-hmm. But it had this very primal predatory feel and energy that I just wanted to put here. Okay, well, two things. Data point on Jamin. You seem to, it seems to be important to you that the song live up to the title, the hype of the title, and potentially the hype of the band name. Yeah, yeah. You can't have My Dark Explosions and play, you know, soft jazz. 
So you want you you want it to be like a cat like you don't want somebody to write a check that they can't cash in other words. Exactly. Okay. Wait. Okay. Remind me again what a check is. It's that thing that you write the date on. Ah. Happy New mm-hmm. Year. It's 2022. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you keeping track at home. Oh, yeah, and I can't believe that nobody liked my suggestion for this segment of the Inferno. Which one was that? <laughs> Yakety Sacks. Oh. See. The Benny Hill theme song. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves Yakety Sacks. Dante and I don't agree on everything, uh-huh. but if you're writing a mixtape to convey your emotions to another, Yakety Sacks <laughs> doesn't sum it up. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a kink for everyone. Like, like that may be a very particular. Oh. As uh, <laughs> as Groucho Marx once said. Uh, it, I next get it. To, I get it. I get it. Wait, what? Oh, they. The, it would have yeah, been funnier if you said Harpo, though. Oh, <laughs> valid. Yeah. Track six was a suggestion by Brian Brasio. The oh, Tempest Quartet's version of Palladio. And it mm-hmm. is actually a celebration of De Beers' Diamonds. What? Yes, yes. The song is based on movements and elements in a 1995 De Beers' Diamond commercial. But those are blood diamonds, right? They are. This was a long time, <laughs> a long time before De Beers started cleaning up their act and public image at all. Uh, this is a Diamond is Forever commercial during, I think, one of the darker periods in the De Beers' long, long life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which uh, only sparkles on paper. <laughs> which I guess kind of fits in again with the fact that we're in hell. Yeah, I kind of think it does kind of make it mm-hmm. fit a little more smoothly in that context, particularly when you're dealing with a lot of panderers, tempters, and some of the more social sins in this passage. Right, 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 right. But okay. Andrea Palladio is an architect, a Renaissance architect, very much into harmony, order, mathematical harmony in particular, structure. It's a very Renaissance way of thinking, and I think that does inform this composition. Wait, Mm. his name was Palladio? The architect, Andrea Palladio, is whom this song was named after, this piece. So there's the chemical element palladium, and now I'm I'm frantically Wikipediaing what palladic means in ancient ease. Oh, named after Pallas Athena. Okay, that makes sense. So oh, everything ties together. So a surname it of Palladio does. actually works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. See, every we're just like we're having like you know synergies and synchronicities all over. Asking the, place the here. right questions. This so, this piece is often performed by members of the rock cello industry. Yeah. Uh, so Scala, Tempest Quartet. There's a rock cello industry. It's a big thing. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, um, it's huge. Crap, what's the name of that rock duo? The uh, Oh, I know who you're talking about. I think we've talked about them before. Apocalyptica. Yes. Yeah. Oh, cellos? they've done this one as well? No, well, cello's playing, like, cello's playing metal. I love it. I mean, it, I can totally, like, I think they were the, they were the metal of their day. So, back to your uh, data point. Yes, confirm. Mm-hmm. Tempest Quartet, sounds awesome, is awesome. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All yeah. right. What All a right. vortex of <laughs> tempest. This goes on the this goes on the the plot chart. Yep, yep. That I've got going. Okay. Kanto 23 and track 7. Uh, we had some back and forth on these, I think, and I'm not sure either of us is really like perfectly satisfied because the realm of like lust, panderers, temptresses, seducers, and just power-hungry madmen, there's a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to put Lady Gaga's Sinner's Prayer in this one. Mm-hmm. And for a Lady Gaga piece, this is pretty down-tempo. It's kind of country-western, uh, a little Cold, twang yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Hear my sinner's prayer. It's the only one I know. It sure as hell don't rhyme, but it's good as good as good as gold. I am what I am, and I don't want to break any heart of any other man but you. (laughs) you Hear my sinner's prayer. I am what I am. And I don't want to break the heart of any other man but you. But you hear my sinner's prayer. It's a love song. Uh, It's just a kind of a really cynical love song in some ways kind of like common disaster yeah and there are daddy issues as well oh yeah and yeah. A, and a, and the strange sister thing someone i was reading some suggested this was kind of about that first relationship with the father that never really fades everything i's compared to i'm not sure oh. i buy that other people are saying it's kind of informed by her breakup with taylor kinney who was her fiance mm-hmm. um she says it's not about that but maybe some of the energy kind of bled into it Hmm. It's a really nice song. I mean, all relationships are fundamentally broken. All people are broken. Every relationship is based on the sort of double-edged trust and vulnerability. As we revisit Thelma and Louise. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How do you see this fitting in with hypocrites? Just curious. I had it there, and I don't think it belongs there. But uh-huh. uh, I think that we had a lot of stuff in the Panders and Temptresses yep. column. At that point in time, way more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we kind of move some things out of there and around. So I'm happy with this one being in. It doesn't really belong in a hell list, but it's it so good. Mean, it's our mixtape. It's, well, it's so that's the thing. Mixtape. This is yeah. this is not about hell. This is about conveying emotions. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah, and it's it's yes, it's his impressions of his journey with Virgil and the lingering effects. And what what he wants to remember. And relationships are hugely risky. And you know that the person you're with is deeply broken and and problematic. But you're going to go with it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Kidding. I don't know. We're all going on this journey together. And we're all, you know, we're all broken. So this slot was a toss-up for um, Lady Gaga and uh, Eurythmics Missionary Man. He's got the saints and apostles backing up from behind Black eyed looks from those Bible books He's a man with a mission, got a serious mind There was a woman in the jungle Yes, and I argued for Missionary Man because it has this perfect son of a preacher man meets Flannery O'Connor vibe plus it has the really creepy jittery movements and effects in the video Oh, I thought my internet was just slow. Oh, so good. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the the jitters. They're built in. Yeah, there's like stop motion animations and things like that in there. It's really creepy and awkward stylings. Mm. Uh-huh. It's fantastic. Yeah. But it's a, it's about, I mean, you know, the kind of hypocrisy of the, uh, su- the 
so-called religious figure who's a seducer and a trickster and pretty much, you know, many multiple Flannery O'Connor stories deal with that in this song instead of a preacher man, also kind of the seducer. And in this one, um, again, it's uh, about, it was based on like Annie Lennox wrote a poem about her um, former husband who was a Hare Krishna and they split up because um, her uh, kind of brush with uh, Hare Krishna was to her like it just smacked of other fundamentalist religions. Hmm. And so she kind of wanted to um, write about this kind of extremism and the, you know, like it seems to be presenting these answers, but you have to kind of beware of the messenger. Hmm. I feel, I feel like it's risky to say the song is about because that's a very, that's a dangerous statement as, as all humanities majors know. (laughs) It's true. That is true. I'm just, yeah, I'm just committing the, the cardinal sin of saying something is about a thing. Is the main focus of the song, the, dark side of religion or is it about the kind of I am irredeemable and I am okay with that of the main character? I think it's kind of all of the above, like the attraction to uh, a, hmm, kind of that weird perversity of, of religion. I think where it is both a salvation and a kink, you know, like, <laughs> you know, where you're sort of like, it becomes kind of this obsession that borders on the sexual or on like sin and salvation are so intertwined. There's a, there's a couple of movements. I mean, the song begins, I was born an original sinner. I was born with original sin. And this uh, main voice kind of owns this as a part of herself or himself. Mm-hmm. Let's not be too specific. Or themselves. Uh-huh. Or themselves. And then there's a phase where kind of mama told me you better shop around sort of thing in the middle. And mm-hmm. then it closes on um, the missionary man, the woman in the jungle and a monkey on the tree. And that is very Garden of Eden to me, which makes me wonder if the missionary man is the snake or God. I think it's the snake. I, are they different characters? I don't, I think exactly. If like, you have I a deep dislike of religion, either one. Yeah, I, I lean towards the suspicion. Mm-hmm. What if the missionary man was actually Lil Nas X? <gasps> oh, full circle. Oh. Mm. Mm. That, so this that, kind of prefigured the uh, the you know rise of Lil Nas X foretold the coming of <laughs> foretold the coming. This needs a mashup. Mm-hmm. I think it does. It totally does. Yes. Uh, most most commentators on this song pretty solidly agree that Annie Lennox is a rock goddess. Is that fair? I, th- I would say that's definitely fair. Yeah, sure. uh-huh. it's like objectively true. Yeah. Uh huh. I think so. And the other part of the song that's kind of interesting is that Dave Stewart, who uh, the other half of the face of Eurythmics, essentially wanted a song that sounded good in an arena. So this is like. Oh yeah, kind of big sound. It's so it got kind of a resonates. big opening line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got it's got some oomph. Mm-hmm. It's got some oomph for sure. So so if, yeah, so missionary man. If you're gonna call yourselves the Eurythmics, you better oomph. Oh, see, see, yep. you're yep. you know you're yep. uh, you're talking the talk. You're talking the Jamin talk. I don't think thick as thieves. It felt a little low oomph to me. Low, oh, it, I feel like it is, it's very, hmm, like it's a, I don't know, it's like a, I felt, I, it's a little the introverted. shoegazery. A little introverted. Mm-hmm. 
it's very introverted. And I think it's just kind of like, you know, a moment of reflection. And I found it, it I think it's a very plaintive song. Like I find it very kind of evocative. Yeah. And like I, um, I'll, well, to back up. So this one is for okay. Answer 24, 25, The Thieves. Yeah. Introspective, bit shoegazing. Uh-huh. We stole anything that we could escape And it wasn't enough We didn't have to spoil anything Though it be as thick as these But I find it very evocative And um, I feel like it's perfect for the Dante-Virgil relationship Because, um, and, and the thieves for many reasons So I think so too It's, it's very fitting is there a difference mm-hmm. between shoegazing and navel-gazing? Yes. So shoegazer music would be kind of... I mean, it tends to be, again, kind of bro. Like, almost sort of mumblecore, introverted, sort of sad bastardy. So you're like, you know, you're kind of just like the world kind of sucks and you're sort of shy, you don't know how to relate to anybody... And yet you have this beautiful music inside you that nobody understands. So it's kind of like, you know, just kind of introspectively stare at your shoes, but you're doing so while you're dressed as Robert Smith of The Cure (laughs) and kind of making it, you know, like it's a stance, right? So, mm -hmm. I thought the song kind of really got the contrapasso element in some way. Oh, yes, definitely. Like what what are the fundamentals about, Thief chapter is that nothing is permanent; that everything can be taken from you, uh, mm-hmm. including, including your relationships, your and including oh. your your memories. What one kind of neat thing in this song is that it starts with very close harmony, and then it goes mm-hmm. to it goes to discord. Like mm. everybody's off yeah. by like half a second later on, and it closes. It wraps up on close harmony again, but that kind of intentional movement together and apart. It's like concrete verse and poetry. It's 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 an amazing song, and I, we haven't clarified who it's by. It's by the Jam, who's you know kind of considered like a mod band. Um, but yeah, I think it, the the music, the arrangement of it, and the harmonies definitely shows that kind of split. It really does become like. Yeah, like less, there's less harmony and more sort of different, you can piece out different voices in different parts, you know, as the song kind of progresses. But it gets at that kind of moment of a split in a relationship while also, you know, talking about the previous intermingling of two people that may have not been particularly healthy because it's like thick as thieves. Like, Mm. yeah, there's that. Mm hmm. Sort of like, Secret, like having this kind of like sharing secrets and being kind of a contained unit. Like a perfect stranger, you came into my life. And like the perfect Lone Ranger, you rode away, rode away. Mm-hmm. And this is also the moment where there's been kind of more discord with Dante and Virgil as well. And yeah, they're starting to learn to talk and learning they, they have trouble with each other. That right, was my exact exactly. question. Mm-hmm. Disagreeing is, is an important part of a relationship. Are you saying mm-hmm. at this point their relationship is unhealthy or just discordant? I'd say there's there's a, a maturity of it because the song is also about kind of growing up and sort of like having different goals. Mm. 
And I mean, it's, it's about kind of the band sort of like finding different uh, artistic interests and formally being kind of a cohesive unit and sort of drifting apart a little bit. Um, and so just like, you know, Dante and Virgil, there's kind of this sense of like, okay, there's sort of a maturity, like Dante is kind of becoming more mature and sort of more having his own, um, like this becomes more his journey, mm. right? But Virgil is still kind of his, his guiding star. I mean, we never let go of that mm-hmm. until right. he dumps him for Beatrice. <laughs> right. But this is that moment where you could start to see that beginning, right? Um, but also just the whole idea of, of the, the, the thieves, like you were talking about initially sort of stealing, stealing, you know, all these things that they stole and, um, but it wasn't enough. And now we've gone and spoiled everything, you know, just like the thieves have, because they were doing that in life. Now they're having everything stolen from them. Yay, queen. Yay, Queen! I love Queen! Track 10 was given to us by Brian Brazio. Thank you, Brian. Brian could have scripted this entire two-part episode on his own. Mm-hmm. So this song he picked for you, the Ulysses moment in the story, and Ulysses's crazy mess of a quest for life uh, and messy life, and all of his bad relationships and all that energy. So this is a Queen song that I'm not as familiar with mm-hmm. um, because I sort of felt like I don't know. This is a again the '90s man. Like for whatever reason. I decided Queen was no longer cool. Hmm. And so I sort of missed this period of their uh, discography. And, you know, that that was like the end of Freddie Mercury's life. And so I have a lot of regrets about that. So I'm still kind of catching up. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, I feel like this song is also very um, poignant because of that. There's also a lot of sex in it. Yeah, there's a lot of sex in it, too. a little bit, yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, that's, you know, kind of how Freddie Mercury lived his life. Yep, fair. Now they started freaking every way you turn. You can't stop walking because your feet got burned. It ain't no time to figure out wrong from right. Because reason's out the window. Better hold on tight. You're rushing headlong. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in the tarot, this would be the chariot. Ooh. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Mm-hmm. Some people have suggested that this is uh, Freddie Mercury having a mortality moment. Like, this would have been around the time when he learned he had AIDS, and maybe he was mm-hmm. taking some more introspective steps back, kind of looking at his career, his love, his relationship, his music, and kind of, like, analyzing all of this in the way it kind of slams together. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of sex, too. Uh he used to be a man with a stick in his hand. I'm sorry, a stick in his hand. Not whatever it mm-hmm. sounded like I said there. <laughs> well, it was whatever it sounded like you said, but it Quite wasn't possibly. what you said. Yeah. And then she used to be a woman with a hot dog stand. That one was enigmatic to me. Oh, yeah. I'm still figuring that one out. You don't speak Polari? Now you've got soup in the laundry bag. Clearly not. Or not well enough. No, I'll say it's, it's sad that I know more 70s gay slang than he does. 
What is, okay, so like what? No, let's let's not have this discussion on the air. Um, one final request before we move on. I'm sure other people uh-huh. have done it. But we actually have an audio engineer in-house. So as it's fading out, and actually, I didn't quite get this one. But where he says it backward, can you, Jacob, clip that of him saying Gnoldia and then reverse it and play it right here? Yeah, yeah. Gnoldia, which is supposed to be headlong backwards, the kind of closing lines. But does it actually say headlong backward? I'll do it right now. Well, I feel like we're all edified. Yes, we've learned so much. Well, that was interesting. I'm stunned. Yeah. I'm shocked and stunned. Stunned. What's the next clip? <laughs> uh, track 11. We got to get out of this place by the animals. Yes, and we have not. You guys haven't met Roanna Flowers, who is one of my friends, who is also a She's very knowledgeable in Dante. Hmm. And Hi, Roanna. I asked her for some suggestions. Hi, Roanna. But um, hopefully someday you guys will meet her. But she's a writer, and she also calls herself a playlist enthusiast who lives here in town. Oh. And I she's was, a DA. I was oh. wondering if someone who is a fan or creator of mixtapes would be a mixologist. <laughs> I love it if, like, they got confused, like, it was at the mixology convention. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And mm-hmm. actually, like, I think it would probably be a good like, party. Like, you show up, everyone else has got gin bottles, and you come in with, like, a backpack full of eight tracks. <laughs> yeah, and everybody kind of, it's like the old Reese's ads where it's like, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. <laughs> a mixology got, convention yeah. at a mixology convention would be epic. Yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Okay, somebody created Make This Happen. Coming to Austin, 2023, okay, so- <laughs> Mixo Mixo Mixology. <laughs> so when we start having events, yeah, we can we can make this happen. So she has a BA in English literature, and she concentrated on the Middle Ages and Latin. I so like her Jamin, already. She's one of your people. Hi, Roanna. So she actually translated the entire the entirety of Virgil's The Aeneid, um, Ovid's Ars Amatoria, and more than a few of Catullus's dirtiest poems. Ooh. And she, this is, this is something that I'm super impressed by. She once translated Afternoon Delight from the English of 1970 soft rock to Latin. That could come in handy. Does she have a website? Can we link it in the show notes? Oh, definitely. I will share um, information about Rihanna because she's also a writer who is currently, uh, has some queries out to, to publishers for a comedic novel. Does she know the croaking chorus from the Frogs of Aristosthenes? My guess is that she, she in fact, does. Okay. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't she? I will she? ask her for you. <laughs> How terrible uh-huh. of a question. <laughs> but I'll definitely share her link so everybody can know the wonder of Rowanna. So this song, this song is very zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, com- yeah. completely captures a moment. Mm-hmm. We gotta get out of this place. So 
This song was recorded in 1965, right smack in the middle of the 20 years of the Vietnam War. And whether or not it was intended to, and I don't necessarily think it was intended to, but I could be totally wrong, it is now a Vietnam War anthem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I kind of like it for the fact, because of that, I, again, I'm sort of interested in this being kind of a PTSD fever dream from the Crusades. And so kind of linking the Vietnam War and the Crusades as these, you know, like the Crusades was centuries long, <laughs> not just decades long, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good, um, good tie-in. So I, I really like that this song makes that link very apparent. So from Dante's perspective, and again, we're, mm-hmm. we're listening to Dante's feelings. Is it is it Dante's really starting to get kind of weirded out? It's like we've got to get out of this place. Let's let's keep getting down. Or like, mm-hmm. does he like? Is he tired of exploring? Tired of new things? Or is he really ready to move on? And I think also the sinners are tired of <laughs> being here too. Oh, they don't. Right. They don't right. get a so choice. Everybody. Yeah, well, no, they don't stuck. get a choice. But uh-huh. this this moment though in in the inferno, we picked this for the. Uh, falsifiers, which are, this is the really kind of, this one made me a little bit twitchy, but it was the one where everybody's kind of languishing over diseases in a, mm-hmm. in, a in an open courtyard. and Picking at each other's scabs. Yeah, and what's mm-hmm. holding them here is not like demons with pitchforks or anything, it's just that they're here. And I think mm-hmm. there's some like actual moments of insanity in this passage as well, the people running by yelling crazy things and... Um, sloth that is transformed into something like profound depression. Um, mm-hmm. So that's also kind of feels like a part of the endless war stuff. I mean, the story, the song, watch my daddy in bed a die and watch his hair been turning gray. He's been working and slaving his entire, his entire life away. Oh, yes, I know it. Um, I think that that bleakness and just lassitude, is that the word? Languishing. Lassitude? Languishing uh-huh. um, is, is very here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I like that because it is, and again, I keep, you know, going back to the whole idea of trauma and just the kind of, you know, freeze and uh, languish response to that. But I feel like it's a perfect song. Driving off a cliff with your best friend. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh Uh-huh. And relationships. One commentary I liked about this one was from, uh, I read it on songfacts.com, that is not who it's by, but Mm -hmm. um, the author was saying that there's some songs that are like tofu, they're so versatile, they can be made to fit almost any situation. Mm. This song can be applied to so many things in your life. Anytime you feel trapped and stuck and struggling and desperately needing to flee. Mm Mm-hmm. It's become sort of an anthem of a great many things. Um, it's a very anthemable song. It is. It's like you're leaving your hometown. Yeah. You're leaving uh, high school. Yeah, it's big for high school graduations. Uh-huh. It's the Vietnam War. <laughs> it's the Crusades. It's it's a it's a it's a terrible relationship. It's your sucky job. Yeah, We've got to get out of this place. <laughs> Yeah, it's a blank slate of a song. 
It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a. You said blank slate. I believe what you meant was unsauced tofu cube. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's a flavor absorber. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's umami. I found uh, our pick for track number 12. Actually, Vecna's pick for track number 12. Thank you, Vecna, from our Discord community. Thank you, Vecna. I found it challenging. Uh, Adam Lambert's better than I know myself. I found this song to be beautiful, and then the video to be really frightening. Um, there's some messed up things happening in this one. Uh, it was I, a little I, bit. It, it was a little bit early two thousands boy band for me. But only if you're li- listening to it. Um, I think it's much darker than than that. It sounds like a love song. It is not a love song. Mm. It's something else. This is a stalker song. Big time. So, describe the video to me. I listened to the song, but I didn't watch the video. Um, it's, I mean, it's got some kind of dualistic images of, uh, a, there's like a light image and a, and a gold image, and they're kind of contrasting. This is like a, a, a couple song. There's some mm-hmm. skulls. There's some, and so you see kind of, there's, there's like the, the bad person, the dark person in the relationship, and the beloved, I guess. And the, the dark person is, he's like holding something that looks like a heart and crushing the blood out of it. Gotcha. Um, uh-huh. He's talking about how he loses his temper, crosses the lines. Um, and, you know, as just a song, it could just be like a I'm a flawed person song. Mm-hmm. But if you pair mm-hmm. with the video, I feel like it's it's a much darker piece. This is, um, this is a dangerous, dangerous lover uh, telling his beloved intended that he's mad for him and like all of the red flags are going off. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. the video. The, the song is kind of dancey. There is hair gel. <laughs> I think, I think the song alone, it's just saying I am deeply flawed. Please love me. Anyway, I will love you forever. Although frankly, the phrase I will love you forever should be a trigger for anybody anyway. Um, oh my God. Yeah. That's a bad one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So on the one hand, yeah, we all have our dark sides. None of us know how to communicate them, and we can't escape them. But on the other hand, there's some dark and uncontrollable stuff here that makes this song quite frightening. Like um, the mascara. Super Yeah, the mascara is also kind of alarming, yes. That was a yeah. thing in the early 2000s. Mm. And also, I mean, you know, Adam Lambert, if we want to... Some people, I would not say this because I've seen Adam Lambert perform with Queen... But some people might might also say that he's a falsifier because he is now, in many ways, in person not em- embodying Freddie Mercury hmm. in Queen. But I, I'm I'm quite fond of Adam Lambert. Oh. Uh, it was a good song, just just mm-hmm. kind of dark. But yeah, no, I, it's very very. I I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I think that's pretty fitting here. It is. We're stepping off the cliff into the darkest hell, the bottom most uh-huh. circles. And uh, it stops. It starts off with stepping off into the frozen. What is it? Um, cold as ice, more bitter than a December. Um, so it kind of starts there, and then a lot of this is no one knows me better than you. I know you better than anyone else. Um, That's also creepy. Yeah, it is. 
Our um, souls are intertwined. Yes, but the person you're afraid of is saying it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 There's a lot of rage here, and maybe some of that starts bubbling forth in Dante as he steps onto the ice himself. Hmm. Well, yeah, and that actually could be a segue to the next song. <laughs> yeah. Also, not a very comfortable song. Because <laughs> this is where Dante just starts physically abusing sinners. <laughs> so we're jumping to song 13, which uh, somebody's going to get their head kicked in tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not the it. Better known, the better known version by Earl Vance and the Valiants, as uh-huh. opposed to uh, the Fleetwood Mac version. Spoiler. They're the same band. Oh, what? I am. Yes. Un- I am uneducated. <laughs> So, uh, Earl Vance and the Valiants was actually uh, an early, like, it was the early iteration of Fleetwood Mac. I did so not know. It was uh, written and sung by Peter Green in 1969 under that name. Hmm. Um Later, Mick Fleetwood said about Green, like, Green had a lot of um, issues with, uh, he was later diagnosed with schizophrenia, but this song kind of was like a representation of what he was going through in his own mental state. And Mick Fleetwood said, it's a very prophetic song. Um, When Peter made those songs, we had no idea that he was suffering eternally as much as he was. But if you listen to the words, it's crucifyingly obvious what was going on. But a beautiful song, a poignant song. I have trouble with that so, statement. I don't understand how that word can be applied to something that sounds like a barroom brawl gone bloody. <laughs> Which word specifically? Poignant. Like beautiful or poignant? No, po- no like what she was- said, like, we didn't know how much he was suffering inside. Mm-hmm. That was the poignant line. Not mm. the, not the right. song itself, but it's like... We only saw in retrospect how much he was struggling, and if we had known then what we know now, perhaps we could have acted differently. Right, and yeah. And put him yeah. in the car and driven off a cliff with him, which is the only right thing to do. <laughs> right, that's what you're supposed to do when, you're, when uh, you and your bestie are um, in, a, in a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to pause and imagine the more ragey, angry version, uh, mm-hmm. Dante in his fabulous hat thing, headbanging and moshing, and Virgil throwing devil horns. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally, yeah. yeah. That would be, it's a song, that'd yeah. be a moment. It's a song about everybody wanting fight, everybody wanting blood, everybody egging each other on to violence. Um, one of the lines is, all my boys are in distress and I hope the floor is a bloody mess. So somebody's going to get their head kicked in tonight. And it does. Somebody does get their head kicked in. Yeah. I kind of feel a little like this is a comedy beat in the, uh, in the mixtape itself for, for all mm-hmm. that it's extremely dark. Really? Song. <laughs> oh, hmm. it's, it's a very driven song, mm-hmm. which, you know, I like. Mm-hmm. So name, you know, the, does the name match up to the song, Jamin? In this rockabilly 
Like this matches rockabilly uh-huh. convention. Blank and the blanks. Yeah, it's a perfect rockabilly yeah. name. Blank yeah, and the blanks. Exactly. That's the right syntax. You're like, okay, uh-huh. yeah, this is rockabilly. It's generative grammar of of band names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honorable mention: Mick Jagger's "Ruthless People" from the soundtrack to oh. the movie "Ruthless People." <laughs> Which I had completely forgotten even existed. I, I like I it. I like, like I like that animation style a lot. And it has like it's a crazy 80s movie. It is. And I think it covers every major deadly sin. We've got murder, greed, gluttony, bribery, lying, deceit, treachery, and simony. Ah. Yeah. And scorpions. So, okay. So, in the future, we need to do something with seven deadly sins slash seven deadly dwarves. Yes. And we need to do, like, we need to do stuff with movies. This might be a candidate. Okay. Okay. But... That's just a toss-off reference. It's a good, a good Zucker Brothers farce, a silly movie about some about really about the way endless hostility begets endless hostility. Man, I've just completely blocked it out. What year was it? Eighty-six. Uh, I don't think wow. I've ever heard this song. Weird, yeah. Weird Al did a version of it. Did he really? Toothless people. <laughs> Seriously? Totally. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, track 14, is that where we are? Yes. Yeah, I think track 14. Treachery. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been wanting to use this one over and over again. It's one of my favorite songs on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. Treachery, to, Treachery to the Family. Uh, the Dead South in Hell, I'll Be Good Company. I want to say, right. mm-hmm. I want to say that I'm the one that introduced you to this song. I don't think it's true because mm. you never actually click the links I send you. So you found this on your own. Liar. Oh. But Liar. I sent uh, this you song, this link. This song turns up. I sent you this. I believe you did. This song turns up on almost every search for me. It's just, I, I, I like I like Old South stuff too. And Roots yeah. music. It's true. Um, oh, okay. The lyrics for this one are very terse. There's very few complete sentences. It's kind of choppy. And mm-hmm. I think... The story it's telling is uh, crime of passion. Man sees man sees wife having an affair. Man kills wife. Man feels very bad about it. References to hanging. I see my redhead mess bed tear shed queen be my squeeze. The stage smells tells hell's bells miss spells knocks me on my knees. Okay, so it's a hillbilly death song. It, it is. is a, yeah. It is a bit of that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. I see my redhead, mess bed, tear shed, queen bees, my squeeze. The stage of smells, tells, hells, bells, and spells, knocks me on my knees. It didn't hurt, flirt, blood, squirt, stuff, shirt, hanging on a tree. In hell, I'll be, I'll good, be company. good company. And the thing about this song is it's innocuous. I think I was, like, I, I heard this song, I was like, I like this song. It's got a, a good, you know, banjo beat. They yeah. They dance up and down. They got their elbows back and forth. It's synchronized. It was probably the yeah. third 
iteration before I actually listened to the lyrics and was like, oh, this yeah. is dark. Oh, it's a it's a murder ballad sort of thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the dancing, they're just dancing and kind of doing little 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 kick, kick, kick dance and playing their banjos. They look like a happy band. Yeah. The video is chopped up all to pieces. Yeah. It just jumps from sight to sight. Rhetorically, this does some significant things. It decontextualizes the violence. It distances it from the performer. So what they're singing about becomes innocuous and tame. Yeah. Because it becomes kind of it creates this like layer of alienation between them and the subject. It it almost erases the story, dissolving into fragments. Hmm. Also, they're very universal because they are all over the world in this video, doing their little dances and things like that. And in the middle of a fountain. Hmm. And in like, a little fountain. Yeah. It's worth noting that the Dead South is a bit of a parody band. A bit. Really? Yes. They are they set themselves up to be almost a parody of bluegrass. Like it's satire but remaining true to the genre. So this is kind of like writing a country song about my pickup truck running over my wife and dog. Gotcha. Okay. I did not catch I, that about them. I I don't know if I would even go that far. I feel like they're just legitimately Serious murder ballad. Their words. Oh. Yeah. Well, if they said it, I'm not going to argue. Yeah, they, they're a bit meta. So. Hmm. Well, I can't, their outfits kind of point to them being, because they look kind of Amish. Do you not, do you not look at them and think, I need to buy a linen shirt? Uh. I ask myself that every day. I. I I have held off for so long buying a white linen shirt. I need one. I oh no no in 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 the sixth circle of hell, white linen never stays white linen. Oh, (laughs) I mean, I when I first saw them, I was like, oh dear God. And but now that you've explained to me that they're a parody band, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm okay. Were they? Was it too hick for you? Is that what you're saying? It's too, like, <gasps> performatively, are we Amish? Are we, are we in Deadwood? Yeah. It's there. You know, they, they, yeah. There's self-awareness. There's self-awareness there for sure. Okay. Thank God. Because they're not going to be, like, selling their own brand of pickles at their shows or anything like that, right? They might. Or seasonal whittled. <laughs> hand, hand whittled pickles. Yes, they're hand whittled. <laughs> Data point for Victoria. Those old pickle whittlers. Data point for Victoria. Mm-hmm. Victoria hates Hicks. You hear, heard it here first. <laughs> I don't. You me, heard I it don't here hate first. Hicks. What I hate are hipsters pretending to be Hicks. Oh, okay. No, that's fair. Everyone hates hipsters. Well, this yeah, is an indie. So. This is an indie rock band that learned to be Hicks. Hmm. Okay, they're very good though. They're very a, talented. They're very, but very they're good. not yes. like they're not earnestly. Pretending to be like Brooklyn Hicks. No. <laughs> no. Trust fund Hicks. And again, the question comes up, is this a, is this about wrath or lust instead of treachery to the family? Oh. I think it's a mixology question. And. Oh, it's a mixology and question I'll for bring sure. this back to Dante. In hell, uh-huh. we'll be good company. That's all I'm saying, bro. Yep. It's bro. still a buddy song in some L- ways. Listen, forget the wife murder. That's just the lyrics. In hell, you and I be friends. So, what circle of hell would hipsters like? You know, the kind of hipsters all of who them. do dress all of Amish them. and make their own whittle self whittle pickles. Uh, every every layer combined, hipsters. It's, vi- it's violence to art. 
Ah, okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I, I could get behind that. Yeah. That's where like the weird fur patch garments come from too. <laughs> and the little beards. Okay, I so bet, I bet Gurion had really elaborate facial hair. I think you probably did. I think you're right. And I think you probably um, had a full wardrobe of Warby Parker glasses. So can we keep talking about strange artificial clothing as we move on to our next topic? Uh, yes. Why, yes, we can. <laughs> you mean such as big plastic tuxedos? I do. I do. <laughs> this is a moment of great joy for me to include a Klaus Nomi song, the cold song, because I freaking love Klaus Nomi ever since I was like 10 and oh. saw him singing back up for David Bowie on SNL. So your Halloween costume in... 1983 was <laughs> large plastic tuxedo. I have yet to be Klaus Nomi for Halloween. Every year I say to myself, this is, this the, is year, the year. And I have not done it yet. So maybe, maybe 2022 is the, is, is the, this is going to be the Nomi year. My first exposure to Klaus Nomi was in Venture Brothers where, yes. yeah, he mm -hmm. and the thin white Duke, he kind of swooped in with a sonic attack it took me a while to figure mm -hmm. out what was going on. I had to look that one up. He, I think that's a lot of people's introduction to Klaus Nomi. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a, he, I mean, he played up the alien in the same way that I think Bowie did in some ways. Perhaps they're both from the same solar system. I think they might be in Klaus Nomi. I think really leaned into it though. He kept that persona going even in his personal life. Um, Fine idea. Which is yeah, and uh, I strongly suggest if you listeners, if you like this song, you must watch Nomi Song, the documentary about Klaus Nomi. Yes, um, definitely. Because he was a yes, he was a self-taught opera singer. Um, I who I actually wanted mm -hmm. to ask you about this. In your notes, you're like, he's a self-taught countertenor, mm -hmm, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I know what a tenor is. Is this someone who goes around behind the stages and like? Stabs the tenors? Like, his voice. <laughs> no, he can't. He counts them. Like, oh. one tenor. Ah, ah, ah. Two tenors. Ah, ah, ah. I thought that when a tenor and a counter tender touched, they exploded. I think I think that's like they're like the magnetic Scotty dogs. Yeah, yeah. But, um, Th this, the jelly knight. This goes back to the, the joke. How many belly buttons does a barbershop quartet have? Many belly buttons. Four. Yeah. 13. Because one's a tenor. Oh, okay. Oh. So if you're a counter tenor. Then you only have, you have zero. Yeah. I don't know what a counter tenor is, actually. I'm not going to look it I up. I guess one could look I'm it not, up. I'm not. I refuse to go to Wikipedia. So this song uh, is uh, mm -hmm. from a German opera? No, British opera? It is. It is an opera. Um, oh, John Dryden is English. I I can yes. So, but it's in German and it's an the cold song is aria from a semi-opera, which is a mix of singing and talking um from from 1691 called King Arthur or the British Worthy, 
with music by Henry Purcell and libretto by John Dryden. So the tale centers on Arthur's endeavors to recover his fiancée, the blind Cornish princess Emmeline, who has been abducted by his arch enemy, the Saxon king Oswald of Kent. So it's English, but Klaus Nomi's German. So Who's Emmeline? What happened to, to Guinevere? You know, that is a very interesting point. I do not know. Maybe this is a different version of the Arturian what? legend. If you're British uh-huh. and or German and or listen to this podcast. Thank you. Please tweet mm-hmm. us at the Dispatches. Dis- Dispatches. The Dispatches. Uh-huh. Tune in to our second po- podcast, The Dispatches, which is a behind-the-scenes dispatch tale. If you're German and or British and or whatever, tell us who Emmeline is. I also wanted to share one of the lyrics with you because it's perfect for this. Their voice, like, um, it's, I was going to say operatic, and I guess that's what countertenor means. Countertenor mm-hmm. is the highest classical male singing voice. Oh, because there are no male sopranos. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that range, that zone, yes. And we've already made our Castrati okay. joke this week, haven't we? Yes, we have. Uh, yeah. Did we? Weren't you there for the Castrati joke? I think it was when mm-hmm. we were discussing this. Anyway, let's let's uh, cut. Can I share? So, so this is a <laughs> this song. I feel like is perfect here in this moment where we are beholding Satan trapped in the ice because uh, the lyrics are oh cold. Yes. Cold, and the lyrics are, What power art thou, who from below hast made me rise unwillingly and slow from beds of everlasting snow? So appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also, it's a very, again, sad and poignant song, because shortly after um, a performance of this, that I think is the one that we probably will link to, um, Klaus Nomi was one of the um, first celebrities to die of AIDS in 1983 at the age of 39. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, he died of complications due to AIDS, but I think it was still at the point where it wasn't, you know, very few people kind of knew mm. really what it was. And um, so again, he's another tragic so, story. Yeah, this this makes like watching the video, listening to the song, you're like, this is amazing, this is amazing. How does it tie into Dante? You just summed it up. Yeah, and his his style. Do you do you listen to like Dame Lucia Pop? No, I don't even know what that is. Okay, okay. So when I approach this video, and I, I think we're going to link the right one, like this random dude walks in and this random like face paint, mascara, everything, eyeshadow up to his ears. He's very striking, right? And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, this is going to be another '80s, you know, pop song. And it's operatically gorgeous. It's an, I mean, it's he's just out like of, insane. It's out of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so out of place. Yeah. Like there is no context for Klaus Nomi. And that was like one of his great tragedies is he was very skilled in something else entirely and yet was in the pop circuit or trying to be. Yeah, it was part of the New York uh, kind of punk scene. That makes so much sense. This is New no, York. No, it punk. makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. It's totally New York punk. Absolutely. But the sort of avant garde. That, that, yes. Yeah, there's. That, yes. Yeah. And there's two videos of the song. I think one of them is this black and white one where he's wearing kind of this like spacey raincoat. Mm-hmm. And then there's the one where he's playing with a symphony and he's dressed in this full um, kind of renaissance. 
outfit. Again, just out of place. Yeah, and that's the one that was the one with the with the symphony was towards the end of his life. But the first one was actually towards the beginning of his. Oh, career. I've got the one with like the plastic raincoat. It's yeah, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so either one we can link to either one. Track sixteen, love in an elevator. Love in an elevator. This song is about sex. What? Living it up when I'm gone. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, third floor women's think, lingerie. I thought it was about um, the miracle of technology in, you know, shopping, providing yes I, for uh, the movement of goods and services. I thought it was about being in an elevator and journeying through a department store, which is basically hell. Mm. But mm. but with sex. Hmm. So that's different from a regular department store. Raise your hand if you've had sex in a department store. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Steven Tyler. <laughs> if I said in an independent bookstore and then my mother listened to this episode, it might go badly for me. <laughs> oh, I okay. haven't told my mother I'm in a podcast <laughs> about hell, Victoria. <laughs> I haven't told my, my parents. I would be so confused. They would be very, very confused. Jacob, have you made a tragic mistake? My mother bought me a beer for Christmas. <laughs> oh, did your mom listen to this? No. Hi, Patty. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was very taken by Steven Tyler's uh, codpiece. Where were you taken? Um, it was the same place that David Bowie's pants took me in the late 80s. So not over a cliff hmm. in a Cadillac. No, no, no. <laughs> it was a really remarkable codpiece. I mean, like like red velvet. Okay. I, I was impressed. Wait, so like Let chocolate? I've got to see this codpiece. Look up Steven Tyler's codpiece on your work system right now. That's right. That's another good one to... Okay, love in an elevator, codpiece. That's a good search. Hey, Siri. Search show right me pictures there. of Steven Tyler's codpiece. You know what the weird thing is? Is... I, I still love Aerosmith, but when I was actively listening to Aerosmith, this was before YouTube. And so it was like, I never watched the, the videos on these. I loved all these songs. I've never seen any of the videos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mostly remember, I definitely remember the videos. I guess I just wasn't focused on the mm. cod piece. But it's also a very fun karaoke It's a song. fantastic karaoke song. Mm-hmm. For those of you following along at home... Uh, we spent probably six solid minutes of Victoria just singing Love in an Elevator. <laughs> Here's another one now. Oh, wait, wait, there it is. <laughs> Look, you found his cod piece? I did. Um, Thank God. Our long national nightmare is over. I think it's right at like 58 to one minute into the video. Okay, let's all take a moment to look at Steven Tyler's cod piece. It may be a string bikini from the string bikini shopping scenes. Oh, no. Oh. Uh, one, 138. 136 to 138. It's much more prominent. I'm sorry to have taken us down this road. Oh, I mean, it's it's fair. It's fair. So, 
this is the moment where uh, we have Dante and Virgil climbing Satan's rump. So living it up while we're going down. There's, I mean, one could have discussions about cod pieces and videos because Word Up by Cameo mm. has some of the best cod piece action ever. A Clockwork Orange. Co- those, cod those are pieces some, galore. You might even say they're a character in the yeah, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've distracted us from uh, talking about sex by talking about cod pieces. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. She said, I'll show you how to fax in the mailroom, honey. Right. Yeah, so I didn't quite. It's important because you put them in the feed with the text facing up because it rolls around to scan. If you put it in upside down, it just faxes blank pages. This is an issue That's at work. true. Yeah. It is a learning curve yeah. element there, yes. Pete Brown of Medium.com has some things to say about this. Uh, if this song is about sex in an elevator, then could you please explain and expand on one point? which is part of the elevator elevator story. Usually the elevator assistant is a tiny old man with a silly hat. Mm-hmm. And he thinks this is probably out of place in the story of hypothetical sex in an elevator. Okay. Tiny, That's all I have to say Tiny old men with silly hats have needs too. Also, <laughs> it really only takes like three minutes to get to the top floor. That's a minute extra. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! We've now gone into, like, Rat Pack humor now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So how do we get to the point of using Love in an Elevator for the semi-final oh, I uh, this song the final, mixtape? The final song. No, pen, it's penultimate. Oh, no. Well, I see it as kind of the, it's the Willy Wonka ele- glass elevator moment. We're also kind of, this is, again, a sort of a Satan's backside moment, too. We're transitioning out of mm-hmm. hell um, together in an elevator. Why, yes. Yes, we are, but at, in the shape of Satan's An wrong. elevator is a vertical journey. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, and from there, we wrap it up from the profane to the sacred. That takes us into emerging into the starlight with Officium Divinum from Jan Garbrook and the Hilliard Ensemble, or possibly a tribute to those those performers. This is a very beautiful piece that was suggested by Mark Scarborough as kind of the outro to this portion of the story, although not uh, the end of Dante's struggles. Mm-hmm. Because while we're emerging from a realm of sin and depravity, into a hopeful situation, it's a realm of sin and hope. And the hope is new. The hope is exciting. Uh, the opening lines from this uh, reference Job 17, Parse mihi domine, spare me, Lord, for my days are as nothing. How long will you not spare me, nor suffer me to swallow my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do to thee? Why dost thou not remove my sin, and why dost thou t- not take away my iniquity? Behold, I shall sleep in the dust, and if you seek me in the morning, I shall not be. Wow. Mm-hmm. Again, this is more about the message and the feelings mm-hmm. from Dante than anything else, right? Like it's right. it's yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it's a weird transition because we go from like hot, dancey to like super chillax, 
Yeah, so far as the mixtape goes, I think there's kind of an energy twitch here that's a little odd, but this is the final song on this beast of a mixtape. But you're right. You're right. This is hope. Yeah, it needs to be an outro. You know, in a sense, Love in an Elevator is hope, too. Uh, yeah, it really yeah. is. It's a hope of living it up while you're going down. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Or up. We don't know. Living it down. Yeah. And there's also loving it up when you're going down. Right. Mm-hmm. And little mm-hmm. old tiny old men with silly hats. <laughs> Who have needs. I will say, the, the, well, the yakety sacks again, mm. like Benny mm. Hill. You know, oh, there's the, the little... Yakety sacks. Um, but also, would if, if anybody wants, you know, a bonus track, I would strongly suggest the ghost cover of Here Comes the Sun as a very sort of minor key uh, version of hope. It feels like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun. Yeah. Was that originally the Polyphonic Spree, or did someone do it before them? Well, George Harrison. I mean, the Beatles. Oh, 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 wait. Here comes the sun. <laughs> I'm thinking of the wrong track. Never mind. But rega- regardless, this is like the kind of the final note in a place where there is no hope. That's kind of written over the door. And mm-hmm. we've escaped there into uh, an upward journey, a long upward journey, a challenging upward journey, but a journey towards redemption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who is redempted? Really? Well, Dante is redempted. Allegorically, his journey is going to take him to heaven. He must have been redempted. Because you can't, you can't approach God unless your feet have been washed clean. Hmm. But nobody else along the way hmm. was redeemed. Beatrice is already there. Yeah. But I think everybody in Purgatorio has the potential to be redeemed. And I guess all the... Well, okay, so Limbo... Limbo is different from purgatory because limbo, you stay there forever, yeah. right? Because you're a righteous heathen. Yes. You, um, you, this are, it's mostly reserved for people that have not been exposed to God in the, like, right. the scriptures. And in purgatory, mm-hmm. if your relatives pay enough money, you can get out. Well, right. that was pre-Dante. Post-Dante, purgatory is a place of purgation and purity and purification. This one of the things that he brought to the story is that Redemption is a natural process, and I don't think he was at all fond of the church saying you can pay to get out of hell. Because that's was that that's considered simony. It is. Right? It is or, considered a bit mm-hmm. of simony. I mean, yeah. it's convenient. It is a. It does lead to corruption. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Fine. Yeah. It's simple simony. <laughs> I I I see what you did there. Ah, I saved it. I don't know why I didn't think of that before. I have one more thing to say about uh, Parse Mihi Domine. Uh, yes. One commentator said, this is what John Coltrane hears in heaven. I really like that line. Oh, so it's kind of like the Elvis Costello uh, yeah, song. It does kind of circle back to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is connected. And I got that lyric wrong. You're right. It is my favorite things is playing again and again. Not my Not my favorite song. Oh. So you were right. I, and so John Coltrane, it all makes more sense now to me, too. Full circle. Exactly. The circle of life. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us through 34 episodes and 34 songs and 34 contos. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have loved that you've been on our journey with us. And again, thank you to all of the friends that we met along the, in for November and subsequent months. 
This has been a real treat. Yay! If you have not already, please like us and subscribe us and mention us to your friends. That would be wonderful and help us find more friends as we journey through Purgatorio, inevitably. <laughs> but not in the next few months, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. until then, we'll see you in hell. Bye-bye! This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. Who's, what group did that recently? Uh, uh Disturbed. It's disturbed? Because didn't John Cage have like a... So, are you familiar with the Disturbed discology? Dis- discography? No. No. Okay, you wouldn't like any of their music. They're, okay. They're the wrong kind of metal. The wrong kind of metal. Yeah. Hmm. Like lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>